All right, welcome back. All the saints are in here, and the ones that we're praying for have not yet made it back to their seats. <clears throat> All right, so, starting next week, we're going to be in a new series called In God We Trust. Say, In God We Trust. But it's going to have more of a question to it. In God we trust? Like that. So do it with that kind of inflection. In God we trust? <laughs> Inflection's a large word, I understand. It's in God we trust? Like, really? Do we really trust him? And we're going to be talking over, over the next uh, three weeks, start next week, around finances and what the Bible has to say and where we are and who we are as a church. That kind of thing. And uh, we have a class starting, FPU, Financial Peace University, starting on Sunday, September 17th. And we have scholarships available for that. So if you find yourself kind of in financial stress or anxiety, or maybe it's time for you to just really take a reset to what's happening with your family budget, this is a great class for you. They're going to be meeting, and child care is available, they're going to be meeting on Sundays, and uh, sign up because we have a limited number of scholarships available if you can't afford the class. We have a very generous donation from someone in our church who has said, you know what, I'll cover some families if they'll just get there. So you can sign up on our app. All you got to do is pull out the app, go to the bottom of the screen, go to sign-ups, and it's really easy to sign up, or you can take a picture of that QR code. Let me start off with a question. Why are we here today? To worship the Lord. If you're here for any other reason... Other than to worship the Lord, you are going to be disappointed. Because the purpose and the reason that we gather together is not to check off some kind of spiritual to-do list. It is not to make ourselves feel better about the last week and feel okay about going into the day. No, we are here for one reason, and that is to worship the Lord. And I have some terrible news. I expect there to be wailing and groaning and protests as soon as I share this news with you. Today is the last Sunday in the book of Acts for our series. I know. I know. Three years we've been in the book of Acts during the summer, and we finally got to Acts 28, the last chapter of the book of Acts. And we, we have gone through it over the past three years. And there's this one statement that we've been hitting every time we preach in the book of Acts. And it's coming up on the screen, and I want you to read it with me. The Holy Spirit is doing something in you that will live beyond you. Now replace the word you with the word us. The Holy Spirit is doing something in us that will live beyond us. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that God's Holy Spirit is in us as the church of Jesus? Yes. And that God's Holy Spirit does things in the church that live beyond the generations of the church? Yes. Everybody plays a role in the story of the church, and the story of Jesus. Remember the promise in the first book, in verse number 8. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. He says, but you will receive power. Say power. power. Now say it like a, a shock jock DJ. Power. Yeah, there you go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The main character, the, main, the protagonist, the lead actor in the story is this gospel of Jesus. It's always the gospel of Jesus. A lot of times we tend to put ourselves in the story 
or we tend to think it's about a certain individual like the Apostle Paul. He, he is a, an incredible supporting cast member in this drama. But the main character, the story, is always about the gospel of Jesus. And in Acts 28, what we have is the ending of Luke's, chap, of Luke's gospel, Luke's treatise to the church. Many people thought and believed that Luke wrote the book of Acts to serve as a defense for the church. Because he foresaw and he detailed in this book how the church of Jesus would be persecuted. And they were by Rome. And we come to the end of this book. And the final chapter, we are sent back to the very beginning to be reminded of why it was written in the first place. The end is the beginning. See, Paul in chapter 28 is sent to Rome to receive his trial by Caesar. It's the, it's the climax of Paul's story in this book. So here's the story. Paul and his companions wake up on this island called Malta. Say Malta. Anybody ever been to Malta? It's a little island in the Mediterranean. It's, 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 it's on the way to Rome for the seafaring people. And, 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 and I want to show you just on a map what this looks like. See, Paul began his trip down here in Caesarea. If you look in the bottom right-hand corner, you have Jerusalem and the Caesarea. If I had a really cool laser pointer, I'd be using the heck out of that thing right now. They took their boat to Sidon, up past Cyprus, to Myra, to Rhodes. Then they got here in the middle of this place called Fair Havens. Everybody see Fair Havens there in the middle? It's in the middle there at, this, at Crete, which is right under Greece. And their plan in chapter 27 was just to go to the left to Phoenix, not Arizona, but Crete, okay? There's a Georgia in, 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 in that part of the world too, and it's, it's not Atlanta, Georgia either. It's, they take all of our good names. Okay, their plan, <laughs> their plan was to go from Fair Havens, in some translations it's called Good Harbor, and literally sail up the coast to Phoenix, because that was a better place to stay for the winter. Because during the winter in the Mediterranean, with the boats that they had and the transports and all that, it was not a good idea to be out on the open waters, because storms were like nonstop. So they start their destination to Phoenix, and this storm happens. Two weeks straight of storms, and that's where the little squiggly lines come in. <laughs> And they ended up on this tiny little island called Malta. And what we, what, we, what we learn is that they stayed there on this island for three months. And him and all 276 people in the ship were saved, but the boat completely blew up on its way to the shore. They were received by the locals there. Paul was bitten by a snake. They thought that he was cursed. He didn't get sick, so then they thought he was a god. And then he preached the good news of Jesus. After three months staying there on the island, they finally get Paul to Rome. And Paul lives in a rented house. He was, he was a renter, much like, like many of us. And he had a personal bodyguard by the Imperial Regiment for two years. Throwback to where his journey began in Caesarea, where he was literally in the palace of Herod for two years under a bodyguard. Now he is two years in Rome. And during those two years, he was able, he received friends. 
He entertained people. People came in. He, 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 had, he connected with the local Jewish folks. He preached the gospel. Some people received it. Some didn't. And Paul uses, if you go through chapter 28, he uses the prophecy of Isaiah 6 to pinpoint the steps for his journey in the preaching to the Gentile. And the chapter ends with these words in verses 30 and 31 out of the message version of the Bible. It says this, Paul lived for two years in his rented house. He welcomed everyone who came to visit. He urgently presented all matters of the kingdom of God. He explained everything about Jesus Christ. His door was always open. The last words of this, his door was always open. In your, in your translation, whatever version of the Bible you read, it may say something like, he preached boldly and proclaimed loudly the gospel, or without fear, or, he, or he, he continued preaching the gospel of Jesus. Now, this sounds like a tidy tying up of the whole gospel of Acts, but history tells us what happened to Paul. He was beheaded by Caesar, who was Nero. But the book of Acts doesn't end that way. Actually, for the reader, the book of Acts kind of ends on this cliffhanger. Because we don't know the rest of the story if we're just looking at the book of Acts. If you've been reading the book of Acts up until this point, and you see that Paul went through all this stuff, and he ended up, actually it's not tied up really neatly, if you think about it. He ends up in this rented house, under guard, in custody. And that's the end of the book. He just keeps doing what he's doing. That's the end. Like it's this cliffhanger, and I don't know if, if 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 cliffhangers kind of annoy you, but have you ever been watching something, and it just ended, and you were like, "What? Seriously? Are you kidding me?" Sixteen years ago, the top show in our nation was a show called The Sopranos, and it's the story of this mafia family, and it ended. If you've never seen the ending of it, it ends like this. Watch the screen. Today. All I'm doing is getting coffee and placing his phone calls. You may not realize it, but you are making contacts. It's an entry level job. Fuck up. Right. Focus on the good times. Don't be sarcastic. Isn't that what you said one time? Try and remember the times that were good? I did? Yeah. Well, it's true, I guess. It ended with 12 seconds of that. People, people, no, don't turn it back on. 
People thought, when they were watching it, people thought that, that HBO, who, who produced the show, they thought that there was a glitch. And people all over America were throwing stuff at their television. They were so upset. They're like, okay. And to this day, it's one of the most talked about endings of an entire TV series of all time. Because this guy, Tony Soprano, and some of you are like, we just watched The Sopranos in church. Are we going to hell? Are we okay? You're not going to hell. I like Journey. I like Journey too. <laughs> Sopranos, I mean, Paul used, Paul used the same methods of preaching the gospel on Mars Hill in the book of Acts. We covered this. He took what culture was calling their God. He took what culture was rallying around the top things that they were talking about at the time, and he pointed to Jesus through them. Can you find Jesus in Tony Soprano? Well, 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 yeah, if you're looking for Jesus. If you're looking for Jesus, you can always find Jesus. Tony Soprano isn't Jesus, but that what's happening at the, at the end of that series is that it just comes to an end, and to this day, people are, are either outraged, and they say it's the worst ending of a television show in history, or they're like, oh, that was brilliant, because we don't know if Tony was was killed by a hitman there in the restaurant. We don't know. We don't know what happens to him, but we know what happens to him. It's like, what? I have so many questions for the ending, not, not really of The Sopranos, but for the book of Acts. Luke, what happens to Paul? Why didn't you tell us? Four years in custody between Caesarea and Rome to stand before Caesar. And Luke was with Paul until his end. Why didn't he finish the story? When you read the story there in those last chapters, Luke keeps saying we. We ended up on this island. We were shipwrecked. We went to Rome. History tells us that Luke, the author, was with Paul until the end. And the book of Acts... Why didn't he finish the story? It was either one of the best endings or the worst endings. Why did he end it like this? Pointing to a blank screen of the future without resolve. And the only things that I can reconcile, and I've heard this for years and years and years, is one, the story's not finished. And the story continues on through the church. Another thing that I've heard throughout the years is that if the gospel of Jesus is the main character of the story, then of course the story isn't finished with whatever happens to Paul. And if the gospel actually is the main character, then maybe this is a fitting ending for Acts after all. The end happens with the beginning in mind. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That happened in the book of Acts. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, that happened in the book of Acts. And now Paul is sitting in Rome to the ends of the earth. Actually, the story is there in chapter 1, verse 8. The, the ending was given away in the first chapter. Because the gospel of Jesus has made it to the ends of the earth, which at that time was the Roman Empire. Because they ruled the world. The greatest empire of the time. Full circle. There's a, a, a scholar by the name of N.T. Wright. And if you ever get a chance to read some of his stuff, he's got some great work on heaven. Great work on uh, really what happens when we die. But he's got a great series of studies on the New Testament called uh, 
for everyone. So he takes the book of Matthew and he writes the book of Matthew for everyone, the book of Mark for everyone. And it's fantastic. And if you ever get to read something by him, I would encourage it. But he has this quote about the book of Acts. And it's a long quote, but I want to read it because, man, it's good. Jesus of Nazareth. And he's British, so I'm going to do this in a British act. I'm just kidding. I ain't doing that. (laughs) Jesus of Nazareth, Messiah and Lord, through his servants, through their journeys and their trials, through their pains, their puzzles, their sufferings, and their shipwrecks. Still reaching out into the future, out beyond Rome in the first century, out across the tracks of time and geography. Still confronting men. Jesus of Nazareth. Still confronting men, women, children, rulers, disables people. Local authorities, artisans, governors of islands, wandering tent makers, philosophers in the marketplace, and young men nodding off in windowsills. Luke has brought them all before us in a dazzling display of both writing and of theology, drawing us in, reminding us once more that this is a drama in which we ourselves have been called to belong to the cast. Remember I said everybody is a character in the story. The journey is ours. The trials and vindications are ours. The sovereign presence of Jesus is ours. The story is ours to pick up and carry on. Luke's writing, like Paul's journey, has reached his end, but his end is our beginning. The book of Acts, the story of Acts, is the story of the church. It's your story. And it's as unwritten as the blank space at the end of that TV show. The last verses of chapter 8 just kind of end, not with a, an ending, but with an opportunity to keep writing. Because that's the story. It's the cycle. It's the cycle of the Holy Spirit's power falling and empowering the church. That's that's why we preach and we believe that the power of the Holy Spirit wasn't just for one certain time. It continues to empower us, the church of Jesus. The story of Acts is your story. It's a cycle. It's the cycle of a church speaking a new language. You know what, over time, we need the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit to speak a language that we don't have in our indigenous selves. You know what, without the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to speak the language of compassion and love without his fruits and his gifts. It's a cycle. The book of Acts is your story, and it's my story, and it keeps cycling. People continue to hear about Jesus, and sometimes people follow, and sometimes people don't. The church continues to send out missionaries. It happened in the book of Acts. They sent Paul and Barnabas and Philip out, and we just heard from the Choi's in the Philippines. We're still sending out missionaries. The church still goes through hard times. The persecution of the church in the book of Acts The sufferings of the saints is a cycle. The story continues. The church still is empowered through their sufferings and through their pain. The church continues to endure. The church keeps going to the ends of the earth. Why? Because the story is about the gospel. The church is a supporting character. See, when the book of Acts ends with this black screen 
on Paul's life, and we don't get the next details. What we can be sure of is that the church of Jesus continues through other leaders and other expressions and through other vehicles. Let me ask you a question. Raise your hand if you've heard the gospel of Jesus before. Not a trick question. Raise your hand if you've heard it. Now keep it up and look around the room. This is a witness to everything that the book of Acts is talking about. This is a witness of saying the story hasn't ended, but it's now in these hands that were just raised. And the gospel, the Holy Spirit is doing something in you. You with your raised hand of the gospel of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is doing something in you that will live beyond you. Jesus promised lasting purpose for his church. Our lasting purpose, the lasting purpose of the church is found in what? A spirit-empowered witness, Acts 1.8. We are empowered with God's spirit. That's the lasting purpose. And being a spirit-empowered witness to the resurrection of Jesus is how God loves the world. i say that again. Being a spirit-empowered witness to the gospel of Jesus is how God loves the world. God loves the world through you. You are a spirit-empowered witness to the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus. Would you repeat this with me? Being a spirit-empowered witness to the resurrection of Jesus is how God loves the world. Because God is doing something in you that will live beyond you. Anything less than this gospel of Jesus, anything less than the spirit-empowered witness, anything less to the pro- than the promise that God is doing something in us that will live beyond us, anything less is a reduced vision of what God's love is all about. And when we live with a reduced vision of God's love, we're in danger. friend of mine, Trig Johnson, Trig V. Johnson, a reduced vision of God creates a reduced vision for life. If we have a reduced vision of God, we're going to live a reduced vision of life. Because God promised through his servant, through the Christ, Jesus, that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundant. More life than we know what to do with. A comical endurance of life. It makes no sense while we keep going through it. But, but we keep going because the blessings of God, is never, they are never ending. If our best days are behind us, we are living in a reduced vision of the love of God. If we can have no hope for the future, I keep hearing this from, from Christians. All things are so bad, we've got to intercede, we've got to pray, we've got to... And yes, I'm all about intercession and prayer, y'all. I, I am. I... I and, 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 and argue me, or argue with me on it, okay? I'm all about intercession and prayer. But I am so sick of us giving so much energy to the negativity and the worry and the anxiety when we have the promise that God's blessings never end. We have the promise that his blessings 
don't run out, that his hope endures forever, that his love never comes to a close. We have that promise, and yes, we walk through trials. Yes, we walk through moments where we wring our hands. Yes, we, but here's the, here's the thing. If you've gotten anything out of the book of Acts, God's doing something in you that will live beyond you. You are the embodiment of the love of Jesus on this planet, of God's love, of his promise. So in these final words from Acts, where Paul lives with his door always open, boldly proclaiming the good news, I've got two takeaways from the entire book for everybody. The first one is this. Stop going to church. Sounds a little, some of you are like, all right, blue, blue bass sounds good. I'll go right now. No, no, hear me out. Every story in the book of Acts, did they go to church? Yeah, they went to church. But all the good stuff, all the healings, all the conversions, Holy Spirit fire falling, the talking in tongues stuff, all those things happen outside of the tabernacle, outside of the four walls. It was not, it was not the practice of the church to just gather together once a week and call it a day. And gang, our culture, let's just localize it, Stanley County, we are in danger of thinking that the church of Jesus is just one more compartment for our overfilled, busy week that we check off. We're not in danger. We live this way. We've lived this way for at least 50 years. That it's about tradition. It's about feeling good. It's about checking off a list. It's about making mama happy. If I can just make my mama happy by going to church, I'll go to church. Everything's going to be fine just so we can have Sunday lunch together. This, this is our culture where we live. And I'm, I am standing here as your pastor. I'm saying lots of folks treat ministry in the church of Jesus not like it is the foundation for their lives, but they treat it like it's a hobby. Or it's something that we just do during a certain time during the week. They put their time in. They practice, they fit in, they feel I've done something. And, and here's the thing. The church is not a hobby. The church of Jesus is not just one more thing for you to consume and put into your calendar every week. The church of Jesus is how God loves the world. The church of Jesus is how God loves the world. The church of Jesus is how God loves the world. The world. Does the world, does Stanley County feel loved by Jesus because of your participation in his church? Well, you've got to ask Stanley County that question. You've got to ask people who aren't in the church that question. Now, what I read from Paul is that he kept worshiping. He kept being involved with the Jews and with the things of God. But going to church was never the end game for your faith. The point of walking down an altar and accepting Jesus Christ or however that may have happened in your story. The end game for that was not so you could just go to church every Sunday and say, see, I'm good. The end game for that, after 50 years of serving Jesus, I want to be a stronger follower of Jesus every year. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize that I was just a one-time follower of Jesus 50 times over. I didn't just renew it every year. 
and try to get better at it. I want the depths of my faith to permeate life so that whether I'm 13 or whether I'm 30 or whether I'm 70, I can look back on the rest of, on, on, on everything that's come before and I can say, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so good. With every breath that I am able, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. So if I can encourage you with anything, out of this chapter, out of this study on the book of Acts over three summers now, I would encourage you, stop going to church. I would also encourage you with this. Go with the church. Go with the church. Be a part of the church. The church of Jesus is not a group of people that just meets behind some drywall and some doors. I love worshiping Jesus with you on Sundays. But do you know that in our church, we actually track the numbers on this. We actually have an impact and we engage with more people outside of Sundays than we do during this hour, hour and a half that we're together today. And if you're like, I had no idea we did that. We, that's, and I don't mean this in a condescending or in a judgment way. That's because you're missing out on going with the church. You're, you're missing out on the... You're missing... If, if, if your spirituality is, is just really regulated to one 90-minute section or however long we meet here, to one section per week, you are missing out on the rest of what the church is doing. Nothing will grow your love for Jesus and your discipleship like going where the church goes. Do you want to see revival? Do you want to see the gospel of Jesus capture the hearts of people? Start with the people that you hate. This is a hard gospel, and not many people can pick it up. Start with the people that when you're walking in Walmart and you see them at the other end of aisle 13, instead of turning around and walking away from them, you lean into that and you say, God, if there's something there that I need to reconcile. Start by looking at the log in your own eye rather than the sin or the speck in someone else's life. You want to see revival. Notice and befriend the people that aren't accepted in your community. Sit beside them. Walk with them. Invite them to your home. If the church of Jesus is the expression and is the way God is loving the world, then sharing the love of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit means that every time I lean into that, I'm participating in the eternal. And you know what? Every time I sit with someone who is far from Jesus or needs the love of Jesus or every time I follow that prompting of the Spirit... The story doesn't always end. Usually it doesn't end at the end of that meal or the end of that interaction tied up with a pretty bow. You know how it ends? With a blank screen. Because God is not just using me. He's using the whole church. He's using you. A holy God says salvation and abundant life is for everyone, especially the people in your backyard, your home base. That's why we end with the beginning. The Holy Spirit will give you power so that you can reach Jerusalem. That's where they lived. That's where it starts. So many of us, it's, it would be much easier to raise the money and go somewhere overseas and be a missionary for 10 days and then come back home and fall into my routine. That, that's not the gospel of Jesus. 
That's called, that's, that's, that's called missionary tourism. The gospel of Jesus permeates who you are, where you live. Even if it's in a rented house in Rome for two years under guard, the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus permeates the environment that you're in. Are you, are you in treatment or in the doctor's office so much every week? That's where the gospel of Jesus is going to permeate and pour out of you. Do you know who need the love and the mystery and the kingdom of Jesus? The people who need doctors. The people who need healing. Growing in scripture, there's this image that's shared over and over again. It's a, it's a, it's a farming image. Seeds, plants, trees, cultivating, and growing over and over and over. We see this imagery throughout Scripture. And growing takes time. Who here has sat and watched a tree grow from a tiny sapling up to a mighty oak? Before you raise your hand, I'm going to add this word, nonstop. You've sat there and had your eyes on it as it turned into a... Anybody here? No, nobody here has. You know why? Because it takes time. You know what you have done, though? You've passed that tree through different parts of your life, maybe every day, and you've seen that tree. You've seen what that tree has become. No one, no matter how many of you have noticed that tree over time, no one looks at that tree and condescends to that tree and yells at that tree on day 13 saying, why aren't you 30 feet tall like your brother Mike over there? Nobody's going up to that tree, angry at that tree, that that tree is not strong and sturdy, providing shade in the summer heat. You know what a good farmer does? A good farmer is cultivating that tree. It's giving it nutrients. It's cutting off the dead branches. It's pulling out the weeds. And for the church of Jesus, we need regular care. We need the pruning that only, only Jesus can provide. Where, where it takes what we've lost and where we've been let down and the trials and the imperfection. And, and yeah, it hurts, but it's brought through with the hope that Jesus is at the center. True transformation comes because of struggles. They're the very ingredients God uses. Struggles remind us to look at the Savior. Regular watering, nourishment, drinking in, worship in the disciplines. See, you don't have to have it all together as a tiny tree sapling growing in the kingdom of God. You don't have to have it all together to raise your hands and praise him. You don't have to have it all together to receive from him and to learn to him. Worship and rest is part of the fight. When you know you are loved by Jesus, it changes the way that you live. In the church of Jesus, we are called for regular reaching to develop deep roots and to extend our reach outward like a mighty oak tree. We were never called to look at all the other trees in the garden or all the other bushes in the field and to condescend them because they have not grown to a place where we think they should be at yet. Over and over in Scripture, this metaphor is used. God could use anybody else but he chooses to use you and this church is better when we are together not when we are divided the same holy spirit that was in the early church is in you 
there's beauty that comes from a deeply rooted life. There's beauty that comes from growing in a massive, on a massive planet Earth to growing beside saplings and thousand-year-old sequoias. There's beauty in the diversity of all of the growth because the growth and the maturing was never the main character in the story. The main character was always Jesus, the gospel, his love, his promise. And God grip our hearts for making ourselves the main character or our vision for the future. What we're given in the book of Acts is not a tidy ending where Paul goes skipping out of Rome ready to plant his next church. What we have is a church growing where they are planted. The seeds taking root and the roots going into the soil of Rome, the ends of the earth, the empire, the Babylon of her day, bringing the gospel to the nations. If you look at the book of Acts and you think that this is the strategy to put more butts in seats in any church, you're reading the book of Acts incorrectly. The point of the book of Acts is to let you know, to let the church know, that God's doing something in you. It's going to live beyond you. God's doing something in us that will live beyond us. And a growing church is so much more, is about so much more than just putting butts in seats or in pews. It's about so much more than having a light show or whatever for exciting worship. It's about so much more than just catering to what people in a church want it to be. I love you, AFA. I love you, I love you, I love you. When you tell me I would rather have this song on a Sunday than this song, I've got to tell you that my self-control is only spirit-led if I don't lash out in anger because the songs are not for you. They were never for you. The church of Jesus endured house arrest and torture. And it's, it's an unpopular thing to consider, but what if we didn't have air conditioning today? How many would, how many would worship Jesus anyway? If we didn't have lights on or, or powered equipment in the building, how many people would say, oh, I'll just catch them next Sunday? The worship, of Je- the worship of Jesus was never meant just for us to consume it and consume it and consume it. The worship of Jesus is for him to consume it. The gospel of Jesus, the church of Jesus was not for us just to sit back and attend something thinking that we've got it all figured out and looking down on the other people who don't have it figured out as good as we do. 
Oh, the church of Jesus lives with this unwritten ending. And when you die, it will keep telling the story. The story will go on. When I die, the story will go on. And that's exciting because we're so glad to be the church of Jesus. Because this discipleship in Christ that enables us to take the message of Jesus in powerful ways all over this globe to the ends of the earth. Nothing can stand in the way. Because if we're driven by God's Holy Spirit, then we'll be led exactly where he takes us. And that's exciting. I want to pray for you. Will you stand with me? First prayer is this. God's doing something in you that's going to live beyond you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, with hands in front of you, with palms facing up, I ask you this question for you to consider in prayer. What is God's Holy Spirit doing in you? What is God's Holy Spirit doing in you, church? What is he doing in you? What is he doing in us collectively? And I want to pray over you. The power of the God's Holy Spirit to fall on you, to give you a new language. A language that's bigger than the one that you currently speak every day. Nate, are you talking about English? Well, maybe. I'm talking about life. The way that we live. God's Holy Spirit is doing something in you that will live beyond you. I pray that he puts the kingdom of heaven in your hands over and over and over. When you walk into work or you walk into your regular situation, when you walk into the office, when you walk into that bedroom, when you walk into that corridor, when you walk into those kids, you have the power of God's Holy Spirit and you're bringing the kingdom of God. So you know what I pray? I pray that 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 the kingdom of of God invades the kingdom of earth through you. I pray that miracles take place, not not to make your name great, not to say anything about you. You will be forgotten, but the miracles and the gospel of Jesus will not. I pray for his Holy Spirit and for his kingdom to course through your veins in such a way where the people that are around you see Jesus more than they see you. I pray that your anxiety and the things that you worry about and you stress about and you stay up late about and the things that you just can't stop thinking about, I pray and I proclaim that they bow their knee to the the throne of Jesus. That you will be reminded again and again and again how much more powerful is the goodness of God than the current struggles you're walking through. The goodness of God never ends. These other things are temporal. They're temporary. And without fail, there's always somebody who needs to respond to the gospel of Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, you say, Nate.